Hello and welcome to the Multimedium Podcast, Yo. presented by the Midwest Podcast Network. This is our debut episode. I'm Willie Gibbs, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Tim Long. Tim Long. Man. Full name. Uh, very official on yes, this. <laughs> yes, we're more official. Uh, we're very excited to bring this first episode to you guys. Um, this is something that's been kind of gestating uh, for a while now. Uh, since the since the quarantine time, since the COVID time started, I think we've been talking about doing this. Um, you may have found us, there's a good chance you found us um, from our work on Horror Movie Yearbook, a show we've been doing for a few years now, a um, couple years. And uh, thank you if you're joining us for the first time. Well, you are joining us for the first time, but thank you if you've come from Horror Movie Yearbook. If you haven't checked out Horror Movie Yearbook, please do. Uh, if you're into horror movies, we we do a lot of analysis about various movies that have come out over the course of the decades, um, 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s, earlier. Um, and uh, we kind of put them in perspective um, of the time they were released and talk a little bit about that. But uh, what is Multimedium Podcast? Well, this show is a little different. Um, we are going to be talking about movies occasionally. Uh, we'll be talking about a movie today. But what we're trying to do with the show is we're trying to take a look at an original work. So in some medium, whether it's a book, a comic, um, an album, uh, maybe it's a play, maybe it's, uh, uh, I don't know, a poem. I, there are so many different wonderful mediums with which creators can tell their stories. And we're taking a look at that original work and then an adaptation or a, uh, a different version of that work in another format. So we all know that the majority of, for instance, the big blockbusters nowadays seem to be adapted from something. Um, generally, when you think of your favorite movies or your favorite um, uh, video games or whatever, a lot of them have a, a root somewhere else. And I think what we want to do here, Tim, if I'm not mistaken, um, is talk a little bit about how these things, these, these creations uh, translate to another form. What are the decisions that are being made to translate them properly? What works? What doesn't? Is there a better version of the story? Um, we're going to be digging into all that, really, um, in these various various forms. So today's episode is all about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And we're very excited to talk about that. But first, we do have, uh, we have some, not super active yet, but we're just getting started, some social media accounts that... Um, we want to make sure we're telling you guys about. We would love to hear, love, love, love to hear ideas for episodes. Um, and we are open to anything. Um, we've been talking about a lot of potential uh, subjects for the show. And there's some fun stuff we could have coming down the pipeline. Some really kind of odd stuff. But we're excited about it. Um, and you can shoot us an email. Um, we have a, a Gmail account. We are um, multimediumpodcast at gmail.com. Very simple. Very easy to figure out, right? Um, we can also be found um, on Facebook. You can search Multimedia Podcast there. You can find us on Instagram, um, where we are. You just look for Multimedia Podcast. We kept it real simple for you guys. Um, and on Twitter, we are um, at Multimedia Pod. Okay. You can only have fifteen characters, I believe, is the is the total for your for your handle, your Twitter handle. So, please seriously reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, uh, there are so many avenues I feel like Tim that we could take this that we haven't even thought about yet, right? No, they come to me as you were talking. <laughs> so. Right? Yeah, I bet there's like three or four that probably popped in your head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, we're gonna be talking video games. We're gonna be talking books. We may be talking 
plays or Broadway shows. We may be talking about all sorts of stuff on here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's it's not this is yeah, this is book to movie, but it's gonna be sometimes it might be video game to cartoon. Or yeah, the, comic book to cartoon. Yes, or, there there are a lot of. I think there's a lot there. There's a lot of content out there talking about translating certainly books to film, um, which we will be covering. We're covering we'll a comic that. book into a movie today, which is very common nowadays. I mean, look at all the big blockbusters that are right. out there. Um, but no, you're totally right. We're we, this is it's going to be beyond that. I think we're going to try and kind of uh, stretch ourselves creatively a little bit to talk about some stuff that maybe we wouldn't normally dip into. And I'm really excited for some of that stuff. Yes. Um, so please look forward to that. Um, we'll be announcing our next, um, which is going to be a nice, I think a fun variation, our next, um, our next episode at the end of this episode. But Tim, yes. I want to get into it, man. Yeah, let's jump right into this. So we are talking about, as I mentioned before, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, this kind of came to us as our first idea for, for an episode, I think. Well, Tim brought it up, but, uh, I've been on a Turtles kick lately. Um, my, my wonderful little two-year-old, uh, has become infatuated with the Ninja Turtles, um, how long that will last, who knows? Uh, kids can be a little finicky with their interests, so I'm just going to enjoy it while it lasts. But I've been digging a lot into the comics and watching the movies and the cartoons with her again and, and, and playing with toys with her and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, one of my all-time favorite films is the 1990, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, directed by Steve Barron. Um, and that movie is specifically based on, mostly on the the original run of comic books from Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, the creators of Ninja Turtles. Uh, Mirage Studios was their comic book studio. Um, that first run of comic books. And I think what's, as we dig in here, I think what we will find, I find fascinating is um, how the film takes something that is very indie, it has a very indie gritty vibe to it, and how they're able to make it a movie that would appeal to a much wider audience. A wider audience that was coming into Ninja Turtles from different forms, and we'll we'll talk about that a bit. Um, I think most importantly, we should start with with the turtles themselves. I mean, they they were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird um, under the Mirage Comics studio. These were these were guys that were they really they found a, a kind of a, a kinship through their love of comic books, right, and yes. through the love of. Uh, Especially Frank Miller at the time. Frank who, Miller's Daredevil specifically, yes, right? Yeah. Yes, which became a huge... Uh, I don't want to call Ninja Turtles a spoof of that, because it's not. But it's certainly play- paying homage. I mean, you see it in things like uh, the hand ninja clan from the Marvel comics, the foot ninja clan. Uh, the Daredevil's mentor. Mutagen, yes. The mutagen, yeah. Uh, they, they joke that uh, the same accident that caused the Ninja Turtles caused Daredevil's <laughs> blindness, right? <laughs> Um, uh, Splinter is a kind of taken out of a stick, which is the sensei of Daredevil. In the so you can see the direct influences. Frank Miller's Ronin was another one that they were yes. very, very much um, at the time. Ronin was huge. That was a huge independent. Uh, I, I don't remember who it was published under at the time. Um, a, Image wasn't around. I want to say it was under one of the DC imprints, but I'm not going to look it sure. up real quick. Um, but Frank Miller's Ronin was big, and this this the ninja aspect of that. A lot of that came from this, uh, from Frank Miller's Ronin. So check those out if you're interested in kind of the the genesis. The other comics that they were very inspired by in creating Ninja Turtles were the New Mutants. It was um, published by DC Comics. By DC. The way. Okay, cool. Yep. Thanks. Uh, New Mutants, Marvel's New Mutants comics, uh, feature film just recently, uh, just recently released. Finally. Oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the long gestating uh, feature film and uh, Cerebus. 
another independent title, um, another black and white independent title that was uh, the turtles would actually cross over in the first run with with the character Cerebus. So those are some of the big things. But the, really, the the idea of Ninja Turtles uh, started as a joke uh, between the two guys. It was it was them goofing off in their their studio and i think their studio was basically just an apartment yeah that's <laughs> part of the reason what the mirage studios was taken because it was a mirage because it wasn't necessarily a studio it was two guys sitting in an apartment drawing things in the living room that yes. had been converted into kind of an art what is yeah. the show that did a nice little feature on these two? so i want to yeah we should mention i'm glad okay. you brought that up there are really two great sources if you want if you really want to dig deeper and we're going to kind of go through because that the, the focus of the show isn't the history of the turtles here but if you want to dig deeper and learn a little bit more about the detail how this came to be and all the all the um the wheelings and dealings that made the turtles what they are now there's two things i want you to check out one there is a documentary called turtle power the definitive history of the teenage mutant ninja turtles it is on amazon um it is available for rental on amazon prime okay. i don't believe it's free to prime users but you can you can rent it um i want to say cbs all access if you've got that it's streaming free on cbs all access oh interesting because i will be having cbs all access yes. soon so. for uh, star trek yes yeah so there's that the other one that one that you mentioned tim is uh, there's a great documentary series on netflix called the toys that made us and it takes a look at uh, various toy lines, everything from Star Wars to pro wrestling to Power Rangers to Ninja Turtles, and talks about the history of that toy line and how it became uh, these. They became these massive, huge properties. Um, and that one digs into uh, the creation of the turtles as a comic as well. So they have an episode. I think it's on the th- in the third season of the Toys That Made Us, but they're all worth watching. Um, so check those out. Um, Really good sources to to look at for kind of the the backstory of the turtles creation. Um, the first issue we should mention was published in 1984, self published um, on newsprint. Uh, was a these were big, uh, large format books. These were not what you would if you walk into a comic book store right now. You're not probably not going to find comics like this at this point in time. Um, very different back then. Very gritty in it both its the way it was actually created and the the look and feel of the book itself. So, um, first issue published in '84 uh, out of New Hampshire, which is where the guys were were based at that point in time. Tim, before we dig into a little bit about how the TMNT property became a film behind the scenes, what was your first exposure to Ninja Turtles? Because I would guess it probably wasn't the movie or the comic. It was not the movie, yeah, because mine came in between. Right. The, both of them. Um, I was born in 1984, sure. so I will age myself on this podcast. You and the Turtles are the same <laughs> age, man. So I was born in 1984. It wasn't, I vaguely remember being over at my grandma's house, and I have a, I have an uncle that's a couple years older than me, and he was watching the cartoon one day. And I want to say, my guess would be it would be around 88, 89, probably into that first or second season of the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Yeah. Because the cartoon started, it debuted in late 87 in December, but wouldn't go out wider until that next year. Yeah, I think the first, and we'll talk a little bit about how it became a cartoon, but the first run of episodes of the cartoon, I think it was 10 episodes they, they produced to coincide with the action figure line. And they reran those 10 episodes they did so well ratings-wise, they kept rerunning them until yes. they were able to make more. Until they made more, yes. And once they made more episodes... And they had, they had the VHS tapes on top of it. So if you were a kid around my age or a little older even, like the turtles were unavoidable no, in a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> so, like The turtles were just 
everywhere everywhere in pop culture and they were spe- specifically geared and aimed at younger kids mm-hmm. <laughs> so my first exposure to the turtles would have been the cartoon series okay now i also remember going to see the movie in the theater or like with yeah. my parents and then having of course that vhs tape that i would run into the ground yeah. with the Pizza Hut commercial. Yes, I play right. <laughs> right out we are the dam. It's important, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so dandelions play a big role in the first two Ninja Turtles yes, movies. Yes, Dandelions. <laughs> so those would have been my first two exposures. Now, the comic book series is interesting for yeah. me. I was not exposed to the Mirage Studios comics until later on mm-hmm. in the run. Like, I think it would be, it would have been volume two of these. Okay. Because I got really into the Archie comics. Yes. And the Archie comic series started, started as a kind of straight adaptation of those uh, first few episodes of the um, the cartoon that you were talking about. And, and then it evolved into something different and something more interesting in a lot of ways, too. And it would get weird. They would go into space. They'd go into the future. And there were issues where they would fight like Hitler's brain and stuff. And they would introduce people like the Mutanimals, which were like an environmentally friendly. It got nuts. It got very, it was very strange and it also, but it was also really cool. And I kind of aged along with that comic. So that comic was, that comic really is my main, because I almost aged out of that cartoon a little bit, but the comic got weirder as I got older. So it kind of stuck with me and it was a, the way it, came off to me was kind of a more still a little bit more kiddier version of the more adult version of the Mirage comics because I remember I went to a comic book store in the mid 90s as that Archie comics run was kind of getting longer in the tooth and I picked up a Mirage Studio comics and it was way different than what I was expecting it was weird and very sci-fi and very gritty and very just very out there in a lot of ways too but it was also it was the grittiness that separated it from the from the Archie comics that I that I read at the time and especially that cartoon because the cartoon was very silly very light right yes yeah um I honestly I it's pretty much the same for me I mean the the, the first exposure was the cartoon series I had a couple of the VHS tapes um, that my dad had bought once I started getting into it. Now, my dad bought the Mirage comics. He has he has the first, I think, three issues, original print of okay. Turtles, which is insane to me. Like, I've, I've held them once or twice, and they're, they're wonderful. Um, so he was kind of weirdly, like, I don't know. He I, I don't know if he was... Uh, he just somehow knew that that was going to be a thing, I think, before. And um, so I, I was exposed to the, the, the cartoon and the toy line, too, I should mention. I mean, yeah, that was, thank you for mentioning that, that. And that kind of went hand-in-hand hand with the cartoon. Uh, my dad had a hookup at Toys R Us. Uh, this lady that used to work there, uh, he worked right behind a Toys R Us. I mean, his, his shop was right behind a Toys R Us. So he would go there frequently and pick stuff up. And it got to the point where he became so friendly with this lady, she'd put cases of figures aside. So he could have his pick of the litter like, to make sure that he got the whole wave of toys for me. So I had, dude an absurd amount of Ninja Turtle toys. And that was where it started. And then same for me. Uh, I saw the movie later. Um, when it first came out in theaters, I did see it. I was only, I was four. This was the first live action movie I ever saw in the theater. Yeah. I'd seen two movies before. I saw Land Before Time was the first thing I ever saw in the theater. Little Mermaid was number two. And then Turtles was was three. Um, I, have, I have memories of seeing Ghostbusters 2 and Batman 89 in okay. the theater. That's so, so I think sweet. it would have been, I think it would have been, those would have been my first two, but then Turtles 
would have been after. And for some reason, I hope my brother is listening. He may no, he's he was pretty young. For for some reason, I remember. I think we saw it in like a Florida vacation. Oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> like around that time. That's awesome. Like, yeah, and we we're in Michigan. We should mention for That's, some of us. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. We hail from the Metro Detroit. Well, yes. you hail from Northern Michigan, but you, right. we now hail from the. Anyway, um, my dad, I remember, and I've mentioned this before on other stuff we've done on other shows we've done, but my dad. Knew the movie was coming out. I knew the movie was coming out because you could see the poster. And it was that really cool poster of just their heads. I have a picture of it over here on the on this board um, of their heads poking out of the sewer. And it said like, uh, "This ain't isn't uh, this ain't no cartoon or something like the tagline." I was like, "Whoa, what?" <laughs> um, and I was convinced they were real. Like I thought that I thought you could like these were the real turtles. There yeah. was no the cartoon was fun, but these were the real turtles that I was about to see. So I was psyched for it. But my four-year-old brain couldn't process the idea of going to the theater, really. I mean, I had seen two movies and barely remembered the experience. Um, my dad was like, oh, we had to run up to the corner store to pick something up. And he, we weren't. And I thought it was weird. I remember thinking at the time, like, why am I going with you for this? And then he took me to the theater and surprised me with it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, he didn't even tell me what we were doing. Like, he's like, come on, we're going to go sit down and watch a movie. And I was like, okay. And then it was like... Like the, that first shot when the turtles jump out of the shadows, that was when I realized. I was like, oh my God, this is. I'm watching the Ninja Turtles right now. Yeah. It was the coolest. Um, so, yeah, that was my first, first exposure. And then um, I discovered the Mirage books. Uh, I knew they existed because my dad had a few of them under lock and key. You know, that he was like, oh, I got. But I, uh, I didn't read them until uh, any of it until probably high school age, even. As that might. You know, the Turtles' popularity waned, ebbed, and flowed a bit, and so I didn't get, I kind of fell off, I would say, uh, as I got a little older, I think Power Rangers became the new thing that I was into for a little bit, and then, um, you know, like late elementary school, and then I became too cool for any of this stuff, and then I got over that and realized that I wanted to get back into it. So, I think high school was my first exposure to the Mirage comics, and I, I thought it was neat that they were kind of so tied to that first movie I didn't realize that I didn't realize how much at the time the first movie was taking from the Mirage books and not from not from the cartoon and stuff um, so yeah um, speaking of the film so uh, Eastman and Laird's uh, licensing agent is a guy named Mark Friedman so you have Mark Friedman to thank for how popular it became he saw something in the turtles that other people didn't see he saw a, a hot commodity and he um, in 87 so a few years after the turtles debut and we should mention uh, they were not putting these comics out monthly. No. These were big 48-page comics. And they, I mean, if you look at it, you know, the first issue was May of 84. The second issue was October of 84. The third issue was March of 85. So by 87, they had maybe run 10 books, but they had grown this kind of cult following. And uh, Mark Friedman got to work with a kind of a an up-and-coming toy company called Playmates and uh, worked on a, a toy line, uh, kind of adapting it into something that would be more kid-friendly. And then they also, at the same time, worked with uh, Fred Wolf, who would wind up uh, bringing that cartoon that we were talking about, that initial run of miniseries, onto the screen and then expanded later on. Um, by, so by the time... Uh, the idea of a live action movie was was brewing about about a year after that or uh, shortly after that time the, the cartoon was already blown out. I mean this the, the turtles were huge at this point already because of that toy line and that cartoon line 
Um, and he wound up getting in touch and working with Golden Harvest, which is a Chinese production company. Um, they introduced pretty much all U.S. audiences to all the classic martial arts films with Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and all these... these um, they, they really... Golden Harvest was the reason why martial arts films started to become bigger in the U.S. Um, at the time because they were bringing them over here and dubbing them and, and, and doing the work. Um, they figured this was perfect for Golden Harvest because they had a history of martial arts experience um, and they were willing to invest some money, obviously. Um, they got Jim Henson on board to do the uh, practical effects, the the suits, uh, which was a huge get for them. I mean, Henson had done a ton of work at this point. He was a household name at this point. He was actually in the late stage of, sadly, his life and his career at this point. Most of the work that's actually you actually see on screen here is actually his son, Brian Henson. Okay. Um, but it was Jim Henson Studios, and Jim Henson was hesitant at first, I think, because of the... He was he was not nuts about the level of violence that this first movie particularly would... If I recall, it's particularly a lot of it had to do with the weapons. He was concerned about it. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people were concerned about it. Right. Um, so much so that I should mention, uh, at some point after the movie was cut and prepping for release, somebody basically said to Mark Friedman, I believe it was one of the producers, like, what did, what did you do? When he saw a cut of the movie, he's like, this is not the cartoon. This is a problem. So, luckily... Um, uh, I should mention they also got Steve Barron. Uh, this is his first feature film. Um, most known for his work uh, in music videos. I mean, MTV was still huge at the time. Um, maybe at the height of its of its popularity here in the late '80s, going into the early '90s. And he directed one of the more memorable music videos of one all of the time. great early music videos yes. on MTV, which would be Aha's Take on Me. Yes, yes. And he directed a bunch of Madonna videos and and. Did a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool. I think he did a Michael Jackson video or two. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up his filmography right now. Yeah, lots of lots of really cool, really creative music video work. You could tell the guy was an artist. You know what I mean? It was he was more than just a guy for hire to to shoot your band. My oh, he did. Uh, he directed Billy Jean. Billy Jean. Yep. Yes. Great video. Yep. Great uh, yeah, movie. another iconic music video from those that early eighties. That early MTV, MTV era. era. Yep. Yep. So he was he was a name in that realm, but this is his first feature film. Um, they got him on board and, uh, they, they shot this thing in it mostly in, uh, North Carolina. Um, little bit of photography done in New York to set up some of like the establishing shots and some of the, you know, the, the city shots, but almost entirely shot on sets in, in North Carolina. Um, when they went to go release this movie, uh, like pretty much all the major studios balked at, at this thing. They were like... And I get it, because uh, even though the show and the toy line were certainly popular enough, this is this was, and we'll dig more into it. But this was not that. This was not the cartoon or the toy line. This was the Mirage comic in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of studios are like, who do we sell this to? It's too dark for kids. It's too light for adults. What are we doing? Um, they wound up finding. I, and oh, I should mention, a lot of the hesitation from studios was the not a couple of years before. Masters of the Universe bombed, yeah. bombed, did horribly. Um, and there you have another popular '80s toy line, cartoon line turned into a feature film. Should have been a smash success. Did not do well. Um, and then Howard the Duck came out right around, right before Turtles, and that bombed. And that made them even more concerned about the possibility of 
the success of this movie. Yeah, and movies based on comic books, cartoons around this time weren't like they were today in terms of box office success, period. Yeah. I mean, the, of course, and, and honestly, Batman coming out may have helped it in some ways the year before. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we really just, of the big ones, we had Batman and Superman. Yeah. As far as that, but even that was, Superman was like late 70s by this point. Well, yeah, so and, it, and this was, and, and Superman, they were still making, uh, they weren't making rave movies at this point. Because those had kind of fallen off, right? I mean, those yes. had kind of, like by four people. I think people four were, was a couple of years, a few years before this. Yes. Yes. Yep. And you can blame the same uh, studio that made Match of the Universe for that. For that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, be some canon films. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Golden Globus. Um, but also, the thing with Superman, but like Dick Tracy didn't do well. No. I think that came out, yep. came out around that thing. Yep. But the thing with, studios hadn't had a handle on how to adapt this and a lot of a lot, a lot of these things batman and superman work batman and superman work because they're batman and superman yeah a lot of times superman was actually i mean superman in some ways is very faithful adaptation yeah. to the character sure. batman is so malleable and as a character that i don't it's closer to the frank miller batman right i think but it's it's, it's also burton it, it was burton prince and batman at the time and like Beautiful. that was always gonna that combination was always gonna get you're gonna get too. butts and seats yes yeah. um so anyway it the turtles is the turtles is a harder sell just on name alone because it's te- it's a kitschy mutant. kind of even the comic is very much a. I had also been reading a lot of Doom Patrol, like that late eighties, early nineties yes. Doom Patrol, and there are some similarities to me in who like it feels like it feels like a comic. Both of these feel similar to who they're aimed at, which is kind of a like a twenties eighties alternative listener. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and and that is something like the comic to me has a more of an adult feel to it. So, and the cartoon was so kid like that you have to find a way to marry those two things. For sure. And and find an audience for this too because that's one of the things I think we'll touch on in this show even moving forward is what your first exposure to something is, is kind of what you have in your head as the real. Cause for me, it was the cartoon when I was a kid. Sure. Like that's how I thought of these. Sure. Cause there's stuff in the movie that is completely different from that cartoon. It's grittier. It's darker. Mm-hmm. The characters are a little bit harsher. Yeah. But when you read the comics, that's where you get a lot of that stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, they wound up being, Pretty happy New Line Cinema, the, who wound up actually deciding to distribute the film because it wound up being at the time the highest-grossing independent film. <laughs> um, yes, it had. I believe the one before that was was Halloween, uh, if, in '78. I'm yeah. fairly certain that it was Halloween, and then Turtles was the next. And what knocked so, was it? Blair Witch that knocked this off. I believe it was Blair Witch that knocked this off. Finally, I could be wrong, but Blair Witch was certainly the the next one I think of when you think of those major uh, success stories for independent film. Now, obviously. Turtles is a little different than those other two, purely because it did have a cartoon line and stuff. But it was technically an independent film, so that, that cannot and, be ignored. Well, because New Line at the time, the uh, the distributor was, um, they had mostly been known for those Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yes, those first three the house or, that Freddie built. Right? Yeah, the house that Freddie built is what they called it. So the Turtles actually allowed them to kind of cement themselves, and then they would blow up, of course, later on with Lord of the Rings. They yep. would get huge there. But yeah, Bob Shea and but they were mostly known at the time for those Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. movies. Yep. Let's dig into it, man. I really want to talk about I, I want to start digging into kind of the story of of both these the comic and the and the the movie. Um I'd love to go just just a basic kind of gist of, of the plot, right? So when we're talking about how the movie adapts the Mirage run uh, particularly the early Mirage run um, of the Ninja Turtles comics. 
we should mention there are a lot of issues early on that have nothing to do with what wind up in, winds up in the movie. And I want to mention those briefly because those are very cool comics. For sure. But specifically, if you're looking into those issues that directly influence this first movie, I would say the first four issues, number one, two, three, and four of the main series, um, you get the intro to the Turtles, you get the intro to Shredder, uh, you get the intro to April O'Neil. Very different intro, and we'll talk about it when we get to April. Um, you get the... Um, the intro or the, the idea that Master Splinter goes missing, which is something that they're going to, that's going to be a huge thrust of the first movie. Um, the Raphael one shot, uh, each Ninja Turtle back in during the Mirage days had what they, what were called micro series. So each turtle got their own special one-off issue that would focus just on that turtle. Actually kind of cool and genius at the time. I really like all of these. I love all of them. The, yes. The turtle based one shots. Absolutely. Yes. And the, the Raphael one in particular is is very much a part of this this finish because if there yeah if there is one criticism I'll aim at the early comic books it's that you don't necessarily it's a lot of it's so action oriented you don't get a ton of downtime with the characters and I think those one shots provide some depth to those characters for sure each of those oh, each absolutely. of those four Ninja Turtles yes absolutely um, speaking of the of the micro series the Leonardo micro series is another one that's hugely important to this this movie um, it's almost directly adapted. Um, the other ones... It's also my favorite. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's so one cool. of the best comics I've ever read. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's very action-oriented. It's There's almost no dialogue. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. I think it's kind of amazing. It's amazing, incredible. Yeah, amazing in that, yeah, kind of silent comic style of storytelling. It's Just so storytelling sweet. Storytelling through art. I think it's a great example of... And I think it, it's, it's a, one of those rare stories that can only be told in comic book form, the way it's told. Right. Yeah. Um, and then issues 10 and 11... Um, those are where the turtles head to Northampton, which happens in the movie as well. Um, finally, they kind they they wrap up both stories um, with the return to New York comic, um, which is kind of the last act of this movie in a lot of ways. So I just wanted to briefly touch on that, um, and I believe the return to New York, just in case for those taking count or keeping track uh just so you know is where it starts yeah 1920 and 21 yes yep so if you're looking just purely for those stories that make it into the movie uh those would be the ones to look at. Now, there's some other cool stories in between. Uh, and like I said, just want to briefly talk about them. I love the Donatello one-shot with the Kirby character. Um, uh, there's a lot of sci-fi. Peter Laird. Peter Laird was into the sci-fi stuff. He was into right. the Star trek stuff, which I think is still a ton of fun in these early Turtles comics. But I think you and I both agreed over the course of this. We like, we like the more Eastman-oriented street-level stuff. Yes. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I think their best stuff is when the two of them are able to collaborate and kind of blend the two in a way. I, th- I like when they lean more heavily on the street, the, the street level stuff, though the, the Foot Clan and the Shredder Me. stuff and uh, the crime fighting. A lot of the sci-fi stuff I don't think is communicated very well, if that makes sure. sense. I think it's I think a lot of it is stuck in their head and they kind of spit it up. Uh, one of the early episodes where they're with like the Fugitoids, or yes. the Fugitoid, yes. I should say, and the Triceratons yep. um, is very very exposition heavy exposition heavy yeah and it's kind of tough to get through it's kind it of is. a slog um, oh, it is. I, yeah i think it's like five four or five around that yeah it would be be around those issues so a lot of that sci-fi stuff i don't think is i think what holds it up for me is it's not necessarily i don't think it tra- i don't think they translate it well from their head to the page yeah i would agree um i'd love to if you're if you're cool that to dig into characters i'd love to talk cool. about the characters yeah. and i want to talk about a little bit about the difference in betrayal and I want to get your thoughts and your insights on 
if there were changes made to the character or different avenues they took with the character, why? You know, like what, 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 uh, what's the mentality behind some of the changes made when they took the leap to screen, right? Um, I'd like to start with the turtles. I mean, that seems like the obvious place. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Leo. Let's start with the actual leader. Yes, yes. Leo, <laughs> yes. Despite what T-U-R-T-L-E power might tell you. <laughs> Sorry, Partners in Crime. Love that song, by the way. Um, uh, Raph is not the leader, uh, and he never will be. No. Love Raph. He's my favorite turtle. He'd be a terrible leader. He'd be awful. Um, he'd be terrible. Anyway. Um, you need Raph. That song always, always bugged me because Leo. Leo's. We should say Leonardo's my favorite turtle. Okay. Well, so I want you to start. So Leo. Uh, Leo sometimes, unfortunately, I think gets uh, as a character gets kind of planted in with like uh, Cyclops from the X Men, or even what Captain America used to be kind of painted as. It's kind of like vanilla Cyclops character. Is a very good comparison. Very Cyclops. Very vanilla. Almost like he's the, he's like there to to be the the buzzkill. But I don't. I, I Mirage Leo, right? Did you did you see anything in Mirage Leo that was different to you in terms of an interpretation of the character? I mean, I, I, I love how he is. So I mean, he's a badass. First of all, he's a badass. There's a balance. He's like one of my favorite types of characters in in the Mirage books. Where I like Leonardo. First of all, I probably when I was a kid, I just liked him because I thought he had the coolest bandana. Like, sure. I just like the color of the bandana. Yeah. But I grew to like him more, I think, probably in the Archie books yeah. as well. And maybe a little bit in the cartoon because he is he can be... He's the type of character... He reminds me a little bit of Captain Kirk in some ways as yeah. a leader. Where it's that character where he's got this balance and he's very level-headed for the most part. But when pushed, he will come back at you and show you that he is a badass. Mm-hmm. He doesn't uh, He doesn't go out... He's not like Raph. He's not hot-headed and mm-hmm. go out and seek violence. He only... Violence in some ways is a last resort for yeah. him. So he's he's my favorite style of leader. And like I said, he kind of reminds me of Captain Kirk in yeah. that way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that comparison, actually. I, um, I, I, I will mention real quick, and it'd be redundant to mention this with each turtle, basically, but we should say there are certainly elements of the Fred Wolf cartoon that are going to pop into this movie as well. The, the general lightness that you see from the characters, including Leo, maybe not Raph as much, but he has some lightness here and there in the, mo- in the movie that you don't see in the books. They're very, nin- very, uh, they get to loosen up a little bit in the comics as they move on and develop yes. characters, but they're, they are very much uh, hard-nosed Frank Miller-esque characters in the comics. All of them, really. Even yes. Michelangelo. It, the, Mike, um, the, Mikey and Cur- uh, the Mikey and Donatello one-shots are a little bit more light. Yes. So those two, and that's what I mean with those one-shots. I think those one-shots are very valuable, yes. especially those two, even though they don't play. Raphael and Leonardo play more into, if you're looking for something that ties along with the movie, mm-hmm. but those two one-shots give a, give a better snapshot of those two characters, Mike and Donnie. They give them more character. They give them more character. Yeah. They flesh them out a little more, yeah. and I really like them both. The Mikey yes. one is probably the least of them for yeah, me. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's cute. I think the Donatello one is fantastic. Fantastic. The Leonardo one is my favorite um, yeah, it's, of it's, them. And it's, it's because, phenomenal. And now, should we talk about movie Leonardo then? Well, yeah, so so real quick. So, the, when, uh, the you know, we should mention with Leo, oh, yeah. with all these guys, the the there's a silliness and a fun the, uh, injection that you get that you don't get in the Mirage comics all throughout these turtles. I mean, you get the pizza loving, uh, you get the colored bandanas, you get some of the jokes and the goofing off and the dancing around and stuff. You get all that stuff, and I th- that to me that's a no brainer why they why that's part of the film. I mean, like we said at this point, the the cartoon and the toy line are what the that's what made these characters popular enough to even warrant a feature film. So you have to have kids and the people that are going to go see this movie 
most of them are not the ones reading the comics. Okay. Most of these people are going to see this movie and making it the success it became are the people that are seeing the cartoons. So I think if you just translated directly the, the, the base look and attitude of the turtles from the Mirage comics into the movie, it wouldn't work. Uh, you need the different colored bandanas. I know it's yes. cosmetic, but you need it because there are, there are moments in the Mirage comic when I cannot tell which uh, turtles which. The, the, so that was always a confusing, even yeah. when they would have the color comics later on, I kind of hated it. <laughs> like, they all have it, red bandanas. Yeah, they all had red bandanas in the comics and I always kind of hated that because I, yeah. I was with you. I... I needed that colors yeah. to, I mean, they're all just turtles. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. all mutant turtles. Agreed. They all look alike. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the pizza thing is injected right from the TV show and I'm totally cool. I love all that stuff. That That's all, that's all, that's all becomes such, by the time this movie came out, that had become such a ingrained, so ingrained in those characters and the, the, um, people's perceptions of what the turtles were. You had to include that stuff. It's Plus it's a great tie in. Yeah. You can make a bunch of money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they got Pizza Hut and Domino deals out of this, by the way. Yeah. They got the, the Domino's product placement deal in the movie, and they got the Pizza Hut commercial deal. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I went to Pizza Hut a lot. I had yep. a Pizza Hut right down the road yep. for me in Petoskey, Michigan. There you go, man. There. I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. Petoskey. Um, anyway, so yeah, let's talk about Leo in the movies. Um, like I said, lighter. A little bit lighter, perhaps. Doesn't take... When the going gets tough, I think, and when, when it's time to, to, to do work yeah. <laughs> as a ninja... Leo is that character from Mirage. I mean, he's not murdering people, and we should mention that maybe the turtles... The turtles aren't ki- straight up murdering everybody. I guess it could be implied that they do kill some people in the movie, but they're not chucking ninja stars into people's foreheads. <laughs> right. Um, but when the, <laughs> Yeah, there's something at the end that's so... Uh, the end of the turtles comic that's so badass that, yeah. It's sweet. Um, but, uh, so Leo's a little bit lighter, but when I think when, when the action happens and when he's forced to be... Um, uh, the leader in situations in the movie, you see more of that Mirage Leo come in, that kind of uh, steadfast, that stoic quality he has about him, right? I mean, I think that that's, that becomes a through line from both from both formats. So with Leonardo, I, he's my favorite turtle. I, I hate to start off on a negative note with the movie because I do like the movie sure. a lot. But there are two characters that I think translate really well to the screen, Raphael and Michelangelo. There yeah. are two that I'm less crazy about. Sure. Leo and Donnie. And Leo's actually my least favorite. In, in, the, the, in the film. In the film. And I think it's just that there's a whininess to him in the movie. And that, I think, is what I mentioned earlier. That's the trap that that type of character can fall into a little right. bit, right? Is it, They can be interpreted. I would argue that there's a similarity between him and Cyclops in that first X-Men movie where you're like, ugh. Like, yeah. And I think it's <laughs> the gentleman. I, mean, I love Leo, but yeah, and the gentleman who rides his voice is a little bit. It's yeah. not what I expect sure. from Leonardo, and what I expected from the cartoon and later versions. I really love that um, 2003 cartoon yeah. version of Leonardo. Yeah, as for well. sure. So that one kind of nails it for me. I the thing the other thing with the movie is it cuts out. So in that one shot, it ends with him saying he gets thrown through a window, right? And the brothers rush to his side, and he says, he's back. The Shredder is back. Yeah, so in the in the Mirage comics, Leo is the one that's assaulted by uh, a crap ton of... And this comes after a issue-long action sequence where Of him fighting these ninjas. He's kicking ass. Yes, in, in the snow. In the snow. And there's an incredible... That, that ending of that issue with the reveal of Shredder being back... Because we should mention, they... Shredder's killed in the first issue of the Mirage comics. He's dead. He blows up. He gets... It's a lot... It's very similar to the movie in the sense that uh, they fight him on a rooftop. He gets knocked off the rooftop, but in this this case, he goes out with a hand grenade, right? A thermite grenade, <laughs> I think they call it. So uh, yeah. So the return of the shredder was like a shock in the book. Yes, it was a shock, and the movie cuts that 
they don't have that first meeting with Shredder before the final meeting with Shredder. And I think that hurts Leonardo's character yeah. a little bit because he, in the final battle with Shredder, he gets the longest to go. Like he's, he's he, the only one who cuts Shredder. Who he draws Shredder. blood. Yes. And that's kind of meant to show that he is the most skilled, most skilled of the group. The issue is it doesn't, he doesn't have that middle part where right. he, you see how kind of yeah skilled he is and then it, he's not. It's a, it's that Stan Lee style of storytelling too, sure. where Spider Man gets beat up by Doc Ock halfway through the issue, and then has to come up with a plan. You to get don't back. get to see him fail as a warrior and a leader, and come back from that, right? Um, it's instead, of course, it's Raph in the film that, and we'll talk about that when we get to Raph. But it's Raph that gets hurt, and I understand the change there, but I do think it does. I think you're right. I think for the film version of it, sacrifices a lot of Leo's journey. Yes. Because of that. Yeah, and he doesn't necessarily... Because he is... Uh, there is a line where he and Raphael are arguing where he says, I have never I never said I was a great leader. Yeah. And if he had a journey in this movie, it would come to him becoming that leader from that point, but he doesn't really have that necessarily. Correct. And, and Mirage Comics Leo would never say that either. No. Like, he would, he would have been like, no, I am your leader. You're going to listen to what I'm saying. Yes. So there, there's... And maybe it's... maybe it's uh, There's an element too of uh, the, the first... This first Ninja Turtles movie feels like that first time when they save April, right? That feels like their first time out, like doing missions, <laughs> you know, like like fighting crime. So this is like early. So I can see maybe where Leo's a little less confident. I can forgive that a little bit. Right. But I do agree with you. I think that it does. I understand why we lose that, that Leo fight with the Foot Clan on the rooftops and stuff like that. From one, they want to save the Shredder fight the, the the one and only short fight for the very end yes and two um budgetary i'm sure would what is an issue there too. and it's weird there i think there are budget constraint issues that actually work in the movie's favor Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and it, we'll get yeah we'll talk about it cuts out some certain things yep. but i think i think that might be where it, it hamstrings it a little bit yeah i think one of the things in terms of like the where the budget helps the lack of budget helps is is them by necessity having to cut a lot of the extra issues. And like I said, there's a lot to enjoy in those issues, those more sci-fi issues, but it's very obvious that you find the comics that are a streamlined story that you can do for a relatively cheap. And that's what they did with the movie. And it makes sense and it works. Um, but- and one of the things I'm excited about in this, with this podcast is to show is to like, uh, not show, but sometimes certain things work better in certain mediums. Yep. And sometimes with like, say a movie, it is streamlining a narrative yep. and that's why it's a movie. There are things that like I see and I have complaints about and then I go, wait a minute, you know, maybe I would just like it better in a comic book like yeah. this. Like maybe I would like it better in a book. Like that's what those yep. types of works are for. For sure. Yeah. Um, I'm good with Leo. I, I want to move on to Donnie, the other character that you kind of mentioned maybe is a little bit of the four turtles underplayed. And I would agree with you for sure on this one. Um, Donatello is a big change from what I was familiar with in the cartoon and even in this Mirage comic in the movie. Yeah, Donnie. So Donnie in the cartoon and in the Mirage comic, he's he's always the he's the he's the smart one. He's the logical one, right? He's the one that's uh, Donatello does machines. He's the, he's the one that's always inventing stuff for the turtles and uh, the one who can solve complex problems that they just don't have the. They just don't have the intellect for. And the one shot where he meets Kirby and, find, and goes through the magic crystal is the reason he meets that gentleman in the basement is because he's going to fix the hot water heater. <laughs> like that's that's his job. That's what they, that's the type of stuff they turn to Donatella for. Yes, and 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 
and you know Donnie is uh you know he's got the I'm using air quotes because it's not the lamest weapon of the group right as a kid that's the weapon that you least would want to wield you know it's not sharp and pointy and scary and it's not fun and crazy like nunchucks are because every kid wanted nunchucks um so having him be the the inventor and the fixer and stuff is it such a an alluring part of his character because it separates him from his brothers and it makes him different and it makes him very useful in a way that the others aren't um you don't really get any of that in the movie there's there's a brief bit where he is and i'm glad they put something in there um where he is working on fixing um a truck on the farm with casey and i liked seeing that because at least you see that and you 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 get the impression that he is maybe a little more intellectual than the other ones just from the way he talks and the whole bossa nova and all that mm-hmm. stuff like he's a little nerdy so you get that and i appreciate that but i will say if you went into this watching the movie and not knowing him from the comics or the cartoon i don't think you'd pick up on that as much i don't think you'd really know who donnie is in any way shape or form you wouldn't know a lot about him or what his interests are or what his strengths are He's just kind of another turtle that's there that's maybe a less goofier version of Mikey in a lot of ways. And that, that scene with Casey is lifted directly from the comic. And books. I love that scene. Me too. It's great in the comics too. And it's it's pretty much verbatim. It's in the darn movie. close. Yeah. yeah. It's it's almost an exact adaptation. And it shows it shows their shared love of television, if I recall. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Um because yeah. It, Casey Jones, he's a he's a bit of a binge watcher of certain. He sure is. He <laughs> sure is. Uh, I, I I love I love Donnie. Um I will say I, I do think and we're not really digging into it on this one because it's not adapted from anything in the long run uh secret of the use the sequel to this live action movie i think donnie gets a lot more to do and feels a lot more donnie the other thing is is it's it's he is the one turtle that has that recognizable voice to me because it's Corey feldman yeah and it feels it feels a little like Corey feldman and they're playing to maybe Corey feldman's strength of delivery in some ways so he's i do but the thing with donnie that separates him from leo and why i like him a little better is is I do I think a lot of the relationship with Mike yes does yep. it's a nice fun brother brotherly relationship and they're they're hanging out and they're having fun and they're funny and I could see even comic book Donnie doing that even though he's a little bit nerdier like he and Mike yes. would be the two that gravitate towards each other well and it's interesting because it, early in the Mirage comics it's Raph and Mikey that are more buddy buddy they right. keep mentioning it because they're Mikey's kind of a hothead in the Mirage comics too. Right, he lightens up as it goes, but I found that interesting. But I always think of Donnie and Mikey as the two. Right, I do like. I will say this: I usually it's Mikey that's the skateboarder in all the media. You know, the different turtle media. I like that they give it to Donnie in this one because it gives uh, Mikey's so goofy and silly and fun. Yeah, you don't need any extra stuff with Mikey. Like, so I like having that for Donnie be kind of his like. It's kind of his like. in this first movie, his thing, you know, that he, he does to relax as he does his skateboarding. I, I dig yeah. that. Um, well, let's talk about Raph next. Okay. Um, this is Raph's movie when we're talking about movie Raph. Let's just throw that out there right now. This is, this is, this, this movie is very much his, he's the focal point. He's the audience surrogate in a lot of ways. He's, he's the turtle that you're following throughout the movie for the most part. I think we can agree with that, right? Much in the way, once again, I, I, it's funny to compare it, but that first X-Men movie is Wolverine is your your character you're following. Um, in the comics, Raph is a lot more supporting character in a lot of ways. He's important 
uh, he's still the hothead. I think that that's something that translates over. I'd argue he's even more hotheaded in the movie. I don't know, though, because in that one shot, there is a psychotic scene where he's sparring with Michelangelo, and then he attacks him with a wrench. Oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> so you get... That's true. That's true. I, I, he, I, okay, he's like equal. I mean, he's he's hotheaded in both. There's yeah. no qu- question there. Um, and he's... The, the one thing I, I think, personally, for me... Reading the two, reading reading the comic and watching the movie, Raph is my favorite turtle, so I have a, a bit of an inherent bias there. And he's my favorite turtle because of the live action movie, not because of the cartoon, not because of um, any of that. Mikey was my favorite in the cartoon always. Raph became my favorite because of the movie, and the reason why that is is Raph's struggle in in this first film is his want and need to be a part of the bigger world. He, he, he's the one, I think they all struggle with that to a certain extent, but Splinter even mentions you're, you do this alone. You're not, you're not seeking help or consolation from anybody. You're, he really seems to struggle with it to the point where he's like going out and seeing critters and stuff like by himself. Like he has a hard time with, with being a, a teenage mutant. A new line production. If I recall. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I, you don't get as much of that in the comics. I'd argue that Mikey in the comics is the one that has more of an issue with being underground all the time, and which makes some sense. But I love that in the movie that that's Raph's turmoil is that he, he craves, I think he craves a dash of like what the common folk get, and he do, can't do it. You know, he can't be a part of it. I, I would argue that that's almost part of what drives him to bring April back. I mean, he, he brings her back because he wants her to be safe. But I think part of it is that somewhere in the back of his mind this is an opportunity for him to be a step closer to to interacting with people and yeah. and being a new yorker right and i love that he has the, the the accent the new york accent that they don't have and it makes total sense because he's he's the one that actually goes out and like kind of interacts with other people so he'd have a little bit of that with him um i don't know i this is this is definitely raf's movie um and like i said in the books he's he's still hot-headed he's like you said he's kind of a psycho in spots um and it gets him in trouble constantly he does have a character arc in both i think um in the return to new york comic you do see the moment where he his hot-headedness he fails and he finally says to leo like you're you're the leader go get him i'm gonna help the other guys out like he backs off and says this isn't this isn't my role on the team he realizes that um, in the movie, um, I think you get a character arc with him because he does find some connectiveness with Casey and with April, and he's able to quench that thirst a little bit. But he also realizes that what he has with his brothers is more important than he thought. And it's it's it means more to him than what he let himself realize and he needs them uh, you know what i mean i think that so i think there's an arc in both and i think it ties into the themes of both because the mirage the theme the thematically the mirage book is very different i think than the, than the movie right thematically the mirage book in my viewpoint and i don't know if you'll, you'd agree or not is about the big theme is like honor and reclaiming your honor and we we see that with leonardo falling from grace and having to reclaim his leadership we see it with the turtles having to cower and hide in shame from their defeat and having to come back and take charge, come back without Splinter or April or Casey and do it themselves and reprove that they are who they're meant to be. With the film, the, I think that thematically the big thing is family. That's that's the bigger thing in the movie. So I think those two... I, the, I, yeah, the books I think are closer to kind of the same themes as a lot of those martial arts 
yes. movies and yep. just martial arts in general. Yep. A lot of the same, a lot of the same stories and themes that pop up there. But the only other thing I wanted to touch on with Raphael yep. is his. I I think he's probably the best in terms of translation from the comics, the movies. And one of the reasons is the relationship between Casey Jones is kind of very similar, especially their first meeting. Except I should say, Casey Jones is psychotic, and we'll talk about Casey a little bit more. Casey Jones is kind of unhinged i should say in the comic book completely <laughs> it's only it's only insinuated in the the movie yes there's bits for sure but elias K- Coteus, who would actually go on to play some pretty crazy characters there is a i think there's a softness to his performance uh, and i think of, it's needed. he's more of a, I, I yeah i think he's more of a jock yeah. he's more of a jock in like a, a lovable jock in, not in a raging movies. alcoholic <laughs> like watching too many jobs yeah. like vigilante borderline um uh, death wish yeah <laughs> so um but there is a great moment in the Raphael one shot where he talks casey down he's like yeah. he's like you're going way too far and it's a great moment character wise because it's kind of raf realizing that yeah. as well that he went too far earlier in that so yeah that's that's what i wanted to touch on with no raf. for sure that's uh, that 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 raf one shot with him and casey meeting each other is very cool and i, I love the relationship between those two characters you know those are my two favorites in that first movie is is the the bond that they form both kind of being freaks in their own way, right? Is is what I really enjoy about those two's journey together. Um, I mean, we'll get into Casey. They're both we'll the type of guys that would go see Critters alone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they got to meet each other. So yeah. now they can go see Critters together, presumably. They'll yeah. see Critters 2 together. The superior film. The superior Critters yes. sequel, yes. <laughs> yes, the best Big Garrett's movie. Yes, <laughs> ever made, yes. Um, let's move on to our final term, Mikey. Last but not least, Mikey. Mikey is... Um, my other favorite character in terms of turtles in this movie, and I think you you totally agreed up front. Um, uh, Michelangelo is my favorite tur- movie turtle. Okay, just because he's yeah. so much damn fun. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the comics, Mikey is Mikey's a weird mixture of uh being the comedic relief and and feeling like the youngest and the kid of the group. Uh, not turned up to his cartoon levels, um, which he's closer to in the movie. Um, but I, I want to get into Mikey because there's some there's a there's a really cool Mikey arc here too, that I that I like every time I watch the movie I get I don't you know I'm not weeping but I get a little emotional watching Mikey's okay. arc. Um, but anyway, so the comic I would say Mikey's a little less. It's gonna sound essential in the comic. He he's there to lighten the mood here and there and be fun here and there, including his one shot, which is a ton of fun in the silliest maybe. It's of, a Christmas. It's a Christmas, it's a Christmas story. story yeah, which it's is kind totally of a perf- yeah, perfect Michelangelo story. Um, but he's not. He never feels like Leo feels like an important part of the group. Wrath feels like an important, if troubling, part of the group. Donnie feels like a pretty important part of the group. Mikey's always just kind of there along for the ride a little bit. Um, I think he serves more of a function and purpose over the course of this Foot Clan Shredder plot in the movie. Um, him being the comedic relief in, in the movie, A, it's turned up a notch. Like I said, it gets closer to the cartoon, which you need in this movie. Because if you if you had a Mirage Mikey who's not who's more downplayed version of that, I think the movie's too dark at that point. Because I think you need the lightness and you need to bring in a, 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 a splash of that Fred Wolf cartoon into this. You have to. And Mikey's that wonderful point where you can do that with a character. Um, but before I before I pass along to you to talk about Mikey, I want to mention Mikey's arc in this movie, and that might be the problem with Leo and Donnie. They don't have arcs in this movie, really. Uh, Raph and, and Mikey do. There's a beginning part, and it's kind of subtle, and it's just it's a it's a brief bit towards the beginning when you see Donnie and Mikey sitting in the pizza dude's got 30 seconds and all that. 
when Donnie, and you can clearly tell this has been on his mind, mentions, you know, did you have you ever thought about what Splinter said about not needing him? And Mikey immediately kills it with a joke. Yeah. There's he doesn't even give it doesn't even give it a, a chance to even let that thought go into his head. As in a lot of ways, and they mention it in the Mirage books, Mikey's like the most emotional of the turtles. He's got the biggest heart and he's got he's got the thinnest skin when it comes to um he deflects, I think, a lot with his humor. Um, it's part of who he is, but it's it's also, I think, in a lot of ways, the same way that Raph's anger is a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. or Donnie's burying himself in his gadgets. Mikey's is the is the humor and the the lightness. Um, and there is a cut subplot in the film that's in one of my favorite issues of this comic, the nor- the first Northampton issue where it's April writing about her experiences staying yeah Northampton. and they do keep some I mean they do keep that VO absolutely in the movie. and I think it's great the stuff that they keep from the books I think is I mean they make Excellent. great decisions great decisions on what yes. to actually I think I think as a whole this movie like we've talked about has balances keeping the right things from both the cartoon and the movie it's the best possible balance right. I think you can strike um but there's a cut subplot that's touched upon in Mirage books that was filmed shot for the movie and I don't know if you know this fact I'm curious to see because I did not <clears throat> so you'll notice when April is writing about and you get kind of the vignettes about Leo watching over Raph, Donnie's working with Casey. They they there's no Mikey vignette. She never mentions Michelangelo. There's no drawing of Mikey, like her her drawings mm-hmm. and stuff. That was all shot. Uh there's a vignette about how he's taking Splinter's miss being missing the hardest. And he's sunken into this He's not interacting with people. He's out there's actually a shot. And I, I always thought it was Raph of Mikey beating up a punching bag in the barn. Yep. That's Mikey. Yes. And you can tell when you see the shape of his head and stuff. Um, and there's a moment in the film where he comes out and he's totally silent when he walks in the room and Casey and April, he's giving her a shoulder rub and they kind of stop. And in the movie it plays well because it plays like, Ooh, awkward, you busted us being affectionate to each other and he cuts it with the turtle wax thing. The actual intention of that scene is the original edit before they cut out the Mikey stuff was that him kind of holding up the turtle X is okay. Mikey's back to normal. Like he's settling, he's becoming Mikey again. Cause he's, he's kind of gone into a very dark place for Mikey. It, it, that shot of yeah. Raph going splinter. Yeah. That's Mikey. I did they not VO'd Raph over the top of it. Ah. You watch it again. That's Mikey. That's from the Mikey vignette that April would, would have, they cut it. I think because they didn't want to take that character down that path in the movie. They wanted to keep him, keep him light and i'm fine with it i have no issue with that missing because you get that isn't there a beat though in the even the turtle wax joke where there's a beat I, i'm trying to remember the exact the way it is but it's kind of subdued for mikey though isn't it yes yeah yeah and that's that's what that, intention that wor- it was. works enough it works well that's it the does. other thing is that joke the way it is i think it works well enough it does and yeah. the the and there's a the moment when they're able to commune with splinter over the fire the spirit of splinter scene which oh the score, and we'll talk about the score a little bit more. Let's yeah. just say the score is one of my favorite. It's, it's one right. of my favorite scores, yeah. Walt. I, I, I think it's phenomenal. Um, Mikey cries, and I think he's the only turtle that's shedding actual tears at that point. And, and there's a moment when, literally, it's, it's him and Donnie sitting next to each other, just like they were in that sewer when Donnie asked him the question about Splinter going missing, and Donnie just puts his arm around Mikey. Yeah. Like, because these, these guys, they're brothers. They know each other well enough. Donnie knows that Mikey's hurting him. Like and you don't need all the punching bag stuff to tell you that at that point because Mikey should, there's a moment of like Mikey can like go of the idea of losing his dad now and that's there's something 
It, I, I love that. I think that seems beautiful. Um, so I, that's Mikey's arc to me is him finally letting that shit out and letting himself not letting down all of those defenses and all of that that good natured humor that is part of who he is, but it's also that wall he's built. Um, I love that bit. So that, that's why I love about Mikey's kind of arc in the movie. Um, and you don't get that in the Mirage comics. So that's something that I think that works better even. Um, any, any thoughts on Mikey other than that? I no, mean, I think you, you pretty much covered it all. Yeah. Um, I, he was just, I don't have a ton to say about why he's my favorite in the movie other than I just, you know, but even that stuff I think plays into it is like kind of how, how down he gets because yeah. you can see it. But also he's just, he's got the best trailer about it too, which is where his head pops in the oh. shell. <laughs> goes, I, yeah, I, I love, love the turtle. turtle. It's the best, it's the best part. There's a joy to Mikey that I just find, yeah. I find, and you need Mikey. You need him. Have to, have yeah. To. You need Mikey to cut back. That's that is his, the humor is the point. Yeah. yeah, it is. It lightens everybody up for yeah. sure. Um, let's talk about April briefly here. I, I, I uh, the big difference here in April is obviously how the turtles meet her, her profession. So they take the newscaster thing, which comes directly from the cartoon. Yes, in the comics, she's an assistant. Uh, she's a scientist, and she works with Baxter Stockman. Baxter Stockman, <laughs> who we'll mention briefly, is a character who does pop up in the comics. Doesn't do anything that functions for the movie. It, with the exception of being a tie for April and, and, and a reason for them to meet April. Um, he's working on the Mousers. The Mouser in the, Project. In the comics, which are the little... The little, jo- little Mean robot guys. Mean robots yeah. that kind of look like mice. They go around and they yes. kill. Yeah. Yep. This, is, this I think, actually is... Um, I uh, This is a, something I'll point to as something where the budget limitations work in their favor because I think the Baxter Stockman stuff is kind of the stuff that gets out there. Yeah. And I prefer the Turtles more grounded in the New yes. York style. I and I think, I think just excising Stockman from the story period it's the and, way to go. and making her a reporter works better for the story. I think it works better. And I could see some folks maybe complaining like, oh, you took the the smart scientist female character and just made her a, 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 a news girl. Or well, she's a, she's a but smart journalist. She's, she's, a, she's <laughs> super intelligent. Yeah. She's a badass. She yeah. fights back in every chance she can get. Um, She's tough, but she's got vulnerability, and she she feels like a strong female character. Yeah. I think a big part of that Judith Hoke's performance is great. I, I love think her. I, she was always my favorite April. Yeah. She's the best April. I, I like Paige Turco <laughs> too. No, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, me too. But Judith Hoke's the best. And Paige Turco comes along. I, the the sequels are sillier, just yeah. as, as they are. So I don't want to. But, but I thought she was a. I thought she was a wonderful April. I think she's fantastic. Um, I like I like the movie April better than I like the Mirage April. I think, just think I think she has more to do. I think the relationship between her and Casey feels more interesting in the in the and more believable to be honest with you in the movie because you get the softness of Elias Cateus. I believe uh, they don't actually wind up getting romantically involved in the Mirage comics at the juncture by the end of Return to New York. I yeah. mean, it's, they they, they interact. do later on, right? Yes, um, but I like uh, the thing is you needed to have human characters for an audience in a movie that's primarily composed of uh, animatronic and suited characters, you had to have human characters for the audience to cling to. And the two, obviously, the two adult characters that I think our parents, when they went and saw this movie with us, that they could at least have someone to latch onto would be April and Casey. Yeah, you need a conduit. That, you have to. You <laughs> into, have to. Into this weird, weird world. Otherwise, it's just a cartoon. Yes. Um, which there's nothing wrong with, but it's that's a different beast altogether. Um, so I, I, I love April in, in the movie. And I think that her journey in the movie... Um, works for me really well and it, it she does more i think in the movie and it has more of a full a lot like mikey has a full story from beginning to end full arc uh april has more of that in the movie than the comics I think. yeah i think the creators are more comfortable handling the turtles 
and even Casey's character to an extent in some of the martial and less hand less comfortable handing, handling a character like April at the point yeah. that they were making these things. So yeah, I don't think April has. I there's not a ton of depth to April in the comics. No, yeah. she's she's a supporting character and she's yeah. Yes, um, like one of the, one of her big things is getting a new hairdo. Yeah, I, yeah, right. I know. Um, let's talk about Casey real quick. Uh, We've already talked about it a little, it, right? There's not a ton more to say, really. I mean, he's he's certainly less of a psycho in the movie. Um, yeah, he's crazy he, in the comic. He's he's yeah, murderous. He's murderous. Um, he's, he's, maybe it's insinuated that he might be uh, close to that in the movie, but they don't fully go there, which is for the best. Right. Um, I think Elias Cateus is phenomenal in this movie. <laughs> no, he's sorely missed in the second movie yes. for me. It's one of my favorite performances. Uh, one of my favorite performances, period, is, is him as Casey Jones. He's lovable. He's kind of a doofus. Um, he is who I picture Casey Jones. Like, yes. Any, any version of Casey Jones is always They can never head. quite live up to... No. no um, I love... I will say my favorite... One of my favorite moments in the film is him showing up uh, just as the tides turn in that the the battle at second time around the antique store yes that's as soon as the music drops and he's sitting there with the hitting his hand i'm like this guy's the coolest like he he met this this giant turtle once and he's like i'm gonna ho-ho my buddy out <laughs> i'm not gonna let it leave him hanging like what a bro yeah what a total it's bro a, casey's got some swag to him too i like casey but it's it's dumb swag like he's, he's gonna get beat up like it's he's like, way out of his, he's way out of his league it's like channing tatum in 21 jump street swag right <laughs> yeah. like he's kind of a doof but you love him yeah and you can't help but love the guy. yeah so yeah i love love casey i i sir i like both iterations um i love gungala gungala for sure but i understand why it's not in the movie because it makes no sense um for the movie i like the i like the yeah there are some there's some stuff in the north it's uh northampton right is the yeah. name of the town there's some stuff in between when they come back the return to new york yeah. stuff that gets a little he what's the story of him going to the comic shop yeah there's a missing yeah he, he's obsessed with tracking down this this uh <laughs> stolen um something gets stolen that's where honestly that's where the mirage books get because that's when they start to split up the two creators and they start to kind of do their own things and that's where i think that cohesiveness is lost it's in that run because there's also a very odd militia story yeah it's strange yeah so and casey plays a role in that as well if i recall so when they come back when 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 eastman and Lair get back together for return to new york (laughs) the comic casey might join a militia though it's true true. he might found one um The only thing I want to mention again about Casey and April is, so in the comic, in the Mirage comics, they are completely left out of Return to New York. They are not, they do not come back to New York. They do not assist in the fight of the Shredder or the Foot or the Fall of any of that. Neither does Splinter. They are uninvolved completely. I understand the reasoning for that because, like I said, the themes of the book are much more about honor and about the Turtles reclaiming and proving to themselves that they are who they say they are and who they who they aspire to be that they're, they're that they're they haven't failed their master you know um and reclaiming what what is theirs and we should say too the return of new york arc comes out around the time this movie would have been being yeah. produced too yeah. so so you can sorry. see why it influenced. the third act is kind of its own thing in the movie but there are similarities similarities yes. certainly yeah um and the return of new york in the film Casey, April, and Splinter are all present. Uh, Splinter obviously has been kidnapped the whole movie. And I'll mention, that's something that's different in the comics. Splinter is wounded in the comics, but he's always with them in Northampton. The, the, the big thrust for leaving and thrust for coming back in the books is Leo gets hurt, they get their asses kicked, and they have to come together and go back and, and take out the Shredder who's mysteriously returned. In this one, it's we have to go back and get our dad. I like the movie version better. I feel like there's more of a like I understand why they're in such a 
why they're like so focused on like we're gonna go save our father basically and I, I like that there's more emotional stakes for me in that certainly than in the mirage books i love them going back in the mirage books too because i love the idea that turtles like f this guy we're gonna go back and take the shredder out but i will say i like the heart there of I, I like i like casey splinter and april all being involved in the finale as well i think them all being there and being present being part yeah. of it you have to have that in the movie you can't just have them disappear for the third act in the comic it works because the comic's an ongoing story and they're going to come back there's not well and, casey, and i mean april they do a good job of having a personal tie to her yes. with danny yeah 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 so let's uh let's talk about real quick uh splinter I don't have a ton to say about Splinter. No, I don't either. actually. Yeah. Um, I, he's a little bit harsher in the books, a little bit more of a of a little tougher in the books on the on the guys. There's always with Splinter. There's always the same thing I have going back and reading a lot of X Men comics. Is like, man, Professor X is kind of a jerk. Sure, you <laughs> like get a little I, bit of the Mirage. I comic. get that yeah. with Splinter sometimes. Too. He's a little softer and a little more oh. fatherly, grandfatherly, almost in a lot of ways in the movie. What we should talk about with Splinter though is the origin story. Totally different. To- well, so, no, 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 not not totally different. It's, so, it veers more to the comic though than the yes. cartoon. So because- the cartoon was that okay. The original comic, the Mirage comics, are Splinter was a pet rat, um, owned by a guy in the Foot Clan or by a ninja named Hamato Yoshi. Hamato Yoshi loved Tang Shen. Uh, Oroku Nagi loved Tang Shen. Oroku or er, got in a fight with Hamato Yoshi. He kills Oroku Nagi. Oroku Nagi's younger brother Oroku Saki shows up for revenge. Kills Hamato Yoshi and Tang Shen. Splinter is, leaves and is on his own in New York when he gets oozed or mutagened mm-hmm. with the turtles. In the movie, they cut out the Oroku Nagi thing and they just make it Oroku Saki. Perfect. Streamline it. For all yeah, I think I all the versions of that story from this point forward, it was just, it's Oroku Saki. The Splinter is the guy who... Honestly, even going back and rereading it, it was a little bit confusing. Confusing, for yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you're, yeah, I think streamlining that makes sense. In the show, Splinter is Hamato Yoshi a human being who is transformed into a rat man because of his exposure to the ooze. I don't even remember how Shredder, <laughs> Shredder is involved. I think he's, <laughs> him and Yoshi, Hamada Yoshi, I think are, are uh, they don't feud over a woman or anything, but they're, 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 they're ba- rivals. Their backstory is not necessarily touched upon that not deeply. Really. It's so, just James Avery. But is the, yeah, the, he's, he's man. He's um, <laughs> but the, the big difference obviously is that uh, Splinter was always a rat in, in the, the comic yes. and the film. Whereas in the cartoon, he was a man. Um, you could argue, I guess, that him having been a trained man makes more sense in terms of... So when I was a kid, I actually preferred the... I, I like... makes sense. So the the thing is, I as an adult, I like the kind of... Because that's where the parody nature of it comes in. Yeah. Because it's meant to be a little bit... Silly. Tongue-in-cheek, a little yep. bit silly. The rat training. <laughs> yes. doing the, in the movie, him doing the kung fu moves is the best. <laughs> so on the, in the comic, I actually... I like it better on the page, honestly, even now. Um, I think I still kind of prefer the cartoon version of it, just because for whatever reason, that's the first one I know, and it makes more sense to me, yeah. even though none of it makes sense. Yeah. So, But going back and reading the comics, I kind of love it. it this is a this is another example of different mediums, different, yep. yeah, different, different, different preferences. Yep. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I like both origins. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't just go with Splinter having been Hamato Yoshi. It's almost easier to do in a movie, I think, than having this, like, do this, like, oh, he was a rat, and then he learned martial arts from it. Like, it's almost more believable mm-hmm. in this bizarre world. But I, I applaud them for just going for it. Me too. Plus, we get the Kung Fu rat puppet, <laughs> and it's really sweet. I have no... Because even that's kind of... Yeah, even... Because the, there is a tongue-in-cheekness to the movie, yes, too. Yes, there is. Yeah. Um, Shredder. 
our kind of our final main character we should talk about uh, before we move into some of the smaller characters. Shredder, uh, the big difference here, obviously, between Mirage and the movie is in the Mirage comics, he dies in issue one. I mean, he is dead. Uh, the Foot Clan still exists, and it's still a force, but Shredder's gone. There was no intention to ever bring him back. It was not a thing. Um, his popularity in the cartoon, yes. where he was the, like kind of the lead villain, is what led... Shredder's like the villain in every episode yes. of the cartoon. The- yes. <laughs> That's what led Eastman and Laird to decide to finally go against their original plans and bring him back. And he's brought back in this crazy convoluted... I kind of love it because it's kind of horror movie-ish. And you know... Uh, we love horror movies. Yeah. Um, he's brought back by like these bizarre uh, flesh-eating worms that like reconstitute. Oh, the as Shredder his... stuff gets weird and awesome. And kind honestly. of like I like that because it's not sci-fi. It's like mystical, like ninja shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's I think that honestly I think that that's the stuff that I gravitate to more when it comes to the turtles, just yes. because it ties into that martial arts nature. Yes, the yeah. mysticism the, stuff. That works Eastern me. mysticism. Um, and we should mention I, I I was gonna mention them in supporting characters, but they're not really even characters. The, the Shredder clones in the Mirage books are creepy as hell and cool too. Yeah, explain those. Yeah. Well, they they were false. They were they were uh, uh, false starts at recloning the Shredder from worms. So you've got this weird, sh- like, imp-ish Shredder running around. You've got one with four arms. That's like this Goliath one. You've got a weird one with crab claw. It's kind of sweet. And it gives the the Turtles... Uh, it, because Leo's the one that fights the Shredder, which makes sense, once again, for Leo's journey in the comics, he's the one to fight Shredder and take Shredder out uh, by cutting his head off, which is so badass. Yeah. Uh, obviously, didn't happen in the movie. I'd argue he dies worse in the movie, though. Um, we'll get yeah, that. <laughs> well, no, we'll talk about it now. Yeah. Uh, so, so, anyway, so these the, the Shredder clone creatures, it gives the other Turtles kind of boss fights right at the end of return to new york this is the big storyline that's concluding this first run of turtles comics you want the other turtles to have a foe to fight while leo takes care of business so it makes sense to me to have these shredder clones they're cool designs they're kind of gnarly and they fit into kind of the weird mysticism creepy factor of the whole worm thing um in the movie it's it's shredder they fight you know i mean shredder shredder never dies they don't even see shredder they don't even know shredder's existence until the third act um, I'd argue it almost might have been more effective to have Shredder show up instead of Tatsu, and we'll talk about Tatsu, during the, the fight in the antique shop and kick their asses so that they know what they're up against. But then there's also something to be said for them finally seeing the face of the guy that they've... the, the man pulling the strings. It works either way for me. And Shredder's intro in the film is so badass. That music and him walking... In almost completely in shadow and then having the the he, uh, Tatsu pulls back the cape and you see all the blades and he like gives this beautiful speech about you're my children and yeah. stuff which ties into the family he's like a cult leader yeah. he is and yeah. it, it works and he he's so I like bull shredders um, I think that my the, favorite shredder though is the toy shredder because he didn't wear a shirt <laughs> yeah he's shirtless he's, <laughs> he just says fuck it um, <laughs> anyway he was not watching reading those no shirts no shoes no <laughs> right. um, but anyway so I I, I I don't have a preference here. I like them both. I think probably I like the movie Shredder better because he's just a, a streamlined, cleaner version of... You get the best the best bits of what Shredder is in the Mirage comics without the mumbo-jumbo that it's hard to explain in a movie. But I do love the cult and the worms and stuff. I think that's great. This is Yeah, this is another example of d- th- different things working. It works and honestly, the, the yep. lim- yeah, the budget limitations, again, because you... Yep. I think this movie works better when it, it gets down... When it feels like a kid's version of like a... 70s early 80s like new york 
crime movie. Yes. <laughs> like just yeah. a kiddified version of stuff like that. And a lot of that mysticism is so out there that I would feel out of place yeah. with with this version of the Shredder. And I like the cult leader kind of Shredder, the kind of mind control aspect and, of the Shredder yes. that takes advantage of the youth, the the transient youth of yeah. New York yes. City. <laughs> and, and once again, I think that thematically, the Shredder pulls the, st- the, the, the two plots together. You've got that honor thing, and which because Shredder is so based in the the Japanese mysticism and the ninjutsu, he comes back in this method that's feels very, very mysterious and ninja esque. You know, with these worms and stuff, it feels right and fits that. Um, as does the final showdown between just him and Leonardo, because those are the two that need to fight. The film, with its themes of family and what is a family and and why family is important the whole cult leader shredder aspect totally works for that because he's got these kids who feel like they have no family, who feel like they have nowhere to turn to. Splinter Strip says it to Danny. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's this, and they basically expose him for the piece of garbage fraud he is. Um, and I love that. Uh, I just want to jump in with something. And he gets killed by a garbage truck <laughs> in the best line delivery in arguably any movie where it's the most lackadaisical murder I've ever seen on because he, he, this is where the, purposes, yeah, this is where he maybe, kills the shredder. Maybe this is where that psychotic nature of Casey from the comic comes in. Because he just goes, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like he murders the guy with no yeah, I love it. Um anyway, go ahead with Shredder. Oh no, I just wanted to point people to and maybe you can if you have a different one to suggest, but I think if you're looking for an adaptation, maybe a bet like a good at I think a pretty Good strong ad- adaptation strong adaptation of the return to from new york or return to new york storyline yes. that early first season of uh, ninja turtles cartoon from yes. the 2000 that early 2000s ninja yeah. turtles cartoon has a adaptation of that i think the last couple episodes of the first season it's pretty much return to new york and it's return to new york and it's fantastic yeah, i think it's, it's really, really well done it's really and, well done and it includes a little of that mysticism and it includes shredder getting his head cut off <laughs> in the spoiler most, alert. in the coolest like saturday morning cartoon thing i think i had ever seen I was like, what <laughs> amazing so i don't know you've have they adapted it in uh, some of the other cartoons? There have, yes. Uh, the, the 2012 cartoon, the CG cartoon, adapts okay. Return to New York as well. Okay. Very different version I, of I it. haven't watched that version of it. Uh, it's worth checking out. Okay. It's a good show, actually. Yeah. Uh, you need I've to get, seen it, but I haven't. You not. need to get through some of the... It feels a little Fred Wolfy at first, and I don't mean that as a diss. It's that's, just... It, it takes some time to... That's how modern modern cartoons seem to be. They're a like little they, sillier. They get sillier at first, and then they get you... Because those Star Wars the, cartoons are the same way. That they're smart enough love. to age with the audience. Yeah. Yep. It's very Harry Potter in that way. And that's why you get resets every couple of years. It makes business sense. Total sense. <laughs> yeah. um, there are a few movie-only characters I want to mention real quick. We don't have to take a ton of time on them. Chief Stearns. Love Chief Stearns. He shows up in the sequel, too, which is fun. I, I, I am happy you have this human authority figure slash foil for April. Are you because, trying to tell me how to do my oh, He's so sweet. Uh, you lose Baxter Stockman, so you don't have a human uh, foil for right. April as much. Um, so I dig having the Chief Stearns character in here. Plus, you, it's nice to have a voice for what's supposed to be the authority in New York at the time. Obviously, in the comics, the, the police can't don't really have that much of a presence. There's yeah. the one issue where they have kind of a car chase throughout the whole issue, which is a fun issue. I think it's issue three or four after they meet April. But there's not a lot of c- police presence in the comics, and I like having a little bit of that in the movie because it makes <laughs> the comics New York are very feel... lawless. It's a very lawless yes. New York City. <laughs> it makes New York feel more real in the movie to me. Right. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the Chief Stern's character being there. I don't really have much to say about him. No, He's fun. I already said all I did to um, say by quoting him. Uh, Charles and Danny. Uh, Danny is... Danny is the... the 
what they're hoping the teenage boy audience to go that's going to go see and pay money or drag their parents to go see this movie they're hoping that they're going to relate to Danny I think is the goal here yeah. um, looking back as an adult I'm like Danny you're an idiot he's, uh, he's like got you could cool hang out with the turtles and you go fuck around with Shredder he's like, got a cool Savicious t-shirt he wears like four of them it's sweet yeah. um, so uh, I, but I understand the reason I for never Danny. gravitated towards Danny no yeah. he's, he's, he's kind I mean I like his journey I like the just call me Dan thing and we should mention Charles as well he's another character I think you need those two I understand why they're in the movie because you want once again the human father and son as well so you've got maybe a more little slightly more relatable father and son uh pairing to see the whole theme of family come through on their end and the call me dan thing and all that's kind of nice it also adds depth to april's character yes in a lot of ways too and because she's concerned about her boss's son and yeah she's i think it i think that's the main positive of those two for me is it adds a little something to april's character who is a character that i yeah would like more actually the archie comics do a very good job with april characters she she gets her own like one shots and yeah. gets her own mini series and it's yeah, kind of cool. That's right. So, yeah, she like she at one point she turns become... into a turtle briefly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I April's a character that I actually I grew to like in the comics mostly. Yeah. So um, last one, Tattoo Man. Uh, love Tattoo. Tattoo might be another example of budgetary lim- limitations yes. as far as a character substitution because if you're gonna pull from both, like the first person I think of as a sidekick to Shredder is Krang. Sure. Yeah. You have Krang or... And that's what um, I always thought of as a kid. It's like, oh, this was supposed to be Krang. (laughs) Or even you have, I guess, Shredder be more hands-on. But I like having Tatsu because it's nice to have that kind of underboss character where... And it gives somebody Casey to kind of throw down with at the end too, which is fun. That that whole sequence, him versus yes. Tatsu is fun. So I like Tatsu. I think he's a fun presence. I think he's very intimidating. He's it's, got a cool... Yeah. It's cool the vibe. James Bond second villain. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, uh, that scene, by the way, where he beats up the teenage foot soldier kid... Um, he knocks him unconscious. That kid originally died in the first edit. Like, like the, when that scene was shot, the yes, kid dies. Yep. Um, they edit in like breathing sounds after the fact. Um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty intense. I'm glad that they. I'm glad they toned that down a little bit too. It's it works well enough with him just beating the crap out of yes. him. Yes. Uh, there's uh, we mentioned Baxter Stockman already. It's understandable why he's not in this film. I would have been fine with seeing Baxter Stockman in a sequel, a sillier, more uh, secret of the used sequel. Yeah, would have been kind of cool. Um, the Shredder clones we talked about. The last one is Zog. I want to talk about Zog for a second here. Zog comes in later on in the comics, right? Right. So Zog is a holdover from the from the Triceraton stuff early on in the comics. That's not even remotely touched upon, thank goodness, in the movie because it has no place in this particular story. Um, Zog shows up and helps them out in the Return to New York arc. He's kind of like a he's being driven crazy. He's a giant Triceraton. He's being driven crazy by our atmosphere. And so they can kind of steer him as a weapon, basically, to go in and help them fight the Foot Clan. Zuck's kind of sad. Like, it's a sad story. Yeah, he's, he's, like, losing his mind, and he gets murdered horribly by sh- the Shredder. Um, Zog is a real bummer. It's a re- there's a reason, obviously, why he isn't in the, in the film. But I just want to mention our boy Zog, because he went down like a champ. Thank you for your for putting up a good fight there, Zog. Zog's a fun, Zog's a fun and kind of sad character in the comics. And I like him. I like having an element of those sci-fi stories that gets brought back, because it feels like it makes them more relevant to the overall turtle story when you're able to tie him back into what's happening. It's a kind of a smart way to bridge those two, the street level and the, yeah. Um, I just want to talk about, we, we talked a bunch about the plot and kind of how the two compare. Um, uh, I want to say that, that the version of New York in this film, the setting itself, the, the sets that they built and stuff 
it feels like Eastman and Laird's New York. I yeah, I honestly never like when I was a kid. I, obviously, I never questioned it because I didn't look for these kind of things. But he, right. <laughs> like I was just, oh, this is New York. They're shooting in New York. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why right. couldn't Jason take Manhattan? Yeah. They right. Found Thank these you. set builders. Yeah, but yeah, seriously. Um. So I I will I want to mention that that the the setting is largely the same and and that the the farmhouses in the movie uh totally feels like the far the same farmhouse as the comic. Y- yes. And it's so iconic. It's an iconic uh location and and it's um. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by how how faithful. Even second time around, the it feels like the, the, yeah the, they the do the a great job. Uh, that's kind of I I reading because this is my first time actually diving into yeah. those early Mirage yes. comics. I had read like the origin stories. Yeah, stuff, I had read a handful because so, yeah. some of that stuff. It's like Batman's origin story. That's yes. really, it's so yeah, yeah. so out in the culture and everything but i was kind of surprised by how faithful they stayed both and they mentioned it too like they had never been to new york they were going off of movies both of these things feel like not necessarily new york but the seeing new york in movies you're basing it off of new york in movies but there is there is kind of that fantasy element to it that i think works it's it's because these are turtles it's a it's a fantasy land as it is but it feels like that version that kind of scorsese's new york uh, like that version that crime that dog yeah yeah Yeah. so i feel like we can thank in a lot of ways not not solely but we can thank steve Barron for some of this too in terms of the look of the movie because Certainly, as the director, I, I know. I know based on interviews and stuff. Unfortunately, I want, I want to mention the the film, the the copies of the film that you can get here in the states. Uh, they don't have any sort of commentary or really much bonus stuff. Um, not even the Blu-ray. However, I believe it's on YouTube, and it's on the. It was on the on the only the German release for some reason. Steve Barron has a full commentary. Oh really? Um, and you get some insight into the movie that you've never okay. heard anywhere else. Yeah, there's nothing on this. You can find it on YouTube. Just sync it up with the movie and, and listen to it. Okay, uh, it's worth it. Yeah, because they've never done really any sort of. There was some. So he was literally booted out of the editing room. He was basically fired as a director after okay. he finished shooting the movie. So there was some bad blood there, I think, and that's probably why you don't hear him talk much about it. I think he certainly feels better about but it. But they've never done like a, a big special edition for this movie. They need it. It's, yeah, it's I, 35 years now, this yeah. year. So I think it, I think we... No, not 35. I'm sorry. It's 30 years this year. I'm, my yes. math is off. Um, so I think that'd be nice for them to put something out. Shout Factory, please. Can we make that happen? Yeah. Anyway. Probably. Um, so... Uh, his, I think, love and love and wanting to stick true to the Mirage comics is the reason why it looks so much like the Mirage comics, and it helps make it feel, even though from a plot perspective they're doing a lot of deviating from the Mirage comics and a lot of they're altering a lot of small things, omitting a lot of big things, adding a handful of things, changing some characters, maybe motivations a bit. Having the the look of New York feel like the look of New York in the comics makes it feel like a much more faithful adaptation, adaptation, even if it's not technically a, a more faithful adaptation. Um, so I, once again, we, we talked about the theme. I think I, th- I think you and I would both agree that the themes are definitely different between the two, considering the similarity of the stories. They're very different thematically. I think. Um, and, and I think that, that I think some of that's the yeah, kind of the age group they're targeting yeah, too. Yeah. So it's because the Eastman and Laird have their own interests, and then the filmmakers are, tar- are targeting a younger audience with a granted a bit grittier of a yeah. film, but it's it's aimed at a younger audience. So yes. you're going to get themes like brotherhood, family. Yeah, yeah. And I think they're handled in an, an adult enough way in the film to where they don't feel pandering most of the time. Right. There's maybe a moment or two where you're like. You can you can read through like the it feels like a little bit of after school special maybe sometimes mm-hmm. with the Danny character a little bit and that stuff is in the comics as well I yes it say. is but there are differences there are yeah, yeah. for sure um, and we should mention that the 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 film and the and the book do end differently um, we did mention that 
our supporting characters aren't present for the final conflict with Shredder, um, except for our boy Zog. Um, but Leo cuts off the Shredder's head, and basically oh, the, re- yeah. the Return to New York story ends with the four turtles on a pier in New York, burning Shredder's body after sending it out to sea. The film ends with Shredder being crushed in a garbage truck by Casey Jones. Crazy ass. Uh, April and Casey kiss. There's the nice resolution there between the two. There's some fun back and forth and then the kiss. And uh, the four brothers celebrate with their their newly rescued father up on the rooftop as we're carried out by sick pop song 9.95. Great soundtrack. Uh, Killer soundtrack. I hit all three of the soundtracks. They're all... All wonderful in their own way. It's funny because the comic feels very punk rock to me, yeah. and the movie feels very hip hop to me. It, it, yeah, it just, isn't it? I don't know. Well, you, I mean, you got you got the kind of in the late eighties one. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it yeah. makes total sense. Yes. I just, I've always, they definitely have two different vibes. Like if I, I, I want to, like when I'm reading this comic, I feel like I should be listening to like the Ramones or like, yeah. um, like some, some maybe some Misfits or some, uh, uh, the Damned or something. Like whereas like, uh, the movie that 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 hip hop R and B soundtrack fits so perfectly mm-hmm. um but yeah it is but yeah, i mean that makes sense though because it is kind of yeah that underground music yes. of new york at that time yep. because hip-hop was kind of building absolutely that, in, the, in the late 80s it totally fits yeah. um cool man I, I i'd like to hear your take on on do you do you have a preference between the way the two story, I mean, they're, they're, I think that we both agree they're both worthwhile. They're both well, well, well worth checking out side by side or separately. I think they both have their merits. Are there pros and cons for either one that you find that you gravitate one more towards the other? Is we yeah we've touched it on. It's not about which which one tells the story better. It's about which one. Do you have a preference? Is there one that you enjoy the storytelling more? Um, the movie, and yeah. I think some of that is I like the I like the more streamlined take yes. on these characters, and I I like my favorite stuff in the comics is that stuff that is New York centric that gets taken into the movie, mostly, yes, yeah. or even just more grounded because even the even the stuff out in Northampton yeah. as well in the comic works really well for me. I the comics get a little bit we read those first three collections mm-hmm. and the comics get a little bit too out there for me and sure. I think the storytelling suffers but it is a different medium and it's also a different that it's tough to even judge that compared to the movie because the movie's just telling that single story whereas a comic is more serialized it's more it's more telling a story and a self-contained issue yep and I but I I tend to like a lot of that outer space stuff less because it gets a little bit too exposition heavy. I gravitate more towards the mysticism and the uh, the the New York stuff in the comics. Yeah. Uh, so I will say the movie, and some of it is just because I think my first exposure to the Ninja Turtles were the toys in the cartoon. That I kind of I like the touches that it keeps from those things the holdovers as well from because. The cartoon, yeah. To those, the comics, those Mirage comics were always a little bit uh, intimidating to me in some yeah. ways. And because I because they were a little bit more adult and I liked the kiddier stuff when I was a kid. And so I like that the movie finds a nice balance between those two things. And honestly, I think it's I think it's the best possible adaptation of those, the comics, or the, yeah, the comics and the cartoon yeah. that you could get at this time. So I'll say the movie. I'm with you. Uh, for me, it's the movie, and, and and part of that is that the the movie is my definitive vision of the of the Ninja Turtles. And there are a lot of one thing that's about about the Ninja Turtles that's so wonderful is they're so malleable. They're they're one of those rare properties where you can do so many different things with them in so many different iterations. And there's something for everybody, I think. Um, and I think each iteration or each version has its own merits. Um, and even if there's not, it's not like the current one isn't for you. 
there will be one at some point again that will be. Or there's uh, one that exists. That exists yeah. already. So um, for me, it's the movie for sure. But I will say uh, reading the Mirage comics, I think, helps inform some of the movie and helps. Um, I do think that it, it it adds the experience of that original movie in a lot of ways. And I think the movie adds the experience of the comics a little bit too. I think the two go well hand in hand. Um, I think the choices they made... Um, like you said, some of the injection of the Fred Wolf stuff makes total sense, and I'm glad they did it. Um, I I think overall, I think the movie tells. I I I just gravitate more towards the themes of the movie. Um, but I once again I will mention that the 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 Mirage comics work so well as in the comic book medium that it's hard to fault that either because they feel like Frank Miller comics of that era. They really do. Um, so, but I'm going to go movie movies, movies kind of the way I go with this one. I think it's one of those rare occasions where I, they found a way to take two pre-existing versions of a property with the original Mirage comics and the cartoons and that are so very different from each other in so many ways and blend the two in something that really was a beautiful marriage of the two things that I don't think we've quite seen since. I will say if you like this first movie, that, that 2003 series is hard to track down, I think. A lot of it's on YouTube. I won't tell you exactly where to get it, uh, but you can find it. Uh, it's well worth watching that first season, and, and if you like it, keep moving on. Um, the other thing is the current ongoing IDW comic series um, is really excellent. So if you look for the IDW collection, it's called on Amazon, you can find that. I want to mention, if you're looking for copies of either the Mirage, Con- the, the stuff we talked about today um, here on the show, uh, Amazon has the uh, you can watch any of the movies I think on Amazon Prime to rent to pay for yeah, yep. um, you can also buy there's a three pack Blu-ray set the transfers are pretty solid on them they're not great but they're, they're fine um, 15 bucks for the first three movies on Blu-ray totally worth checking out um, yeah, that, that's well worth getting is this your favorite movie your favorite what's your second favorite Ninja Turtles movie my second favorite Ninja Turtles movie um, I think you read these before. Probably the 2007 animated one. Me too. Okay. And then Secret of the Ooze, probably. Okay. Mine is the animated one as well. Yeah. I, that one is. I think it's really excellent. Uh, that's a good. If I recall, that's a good interpretation of Leonardo as well. Yes. Yeah. 100. Um, the other that for the when it comes to the Mirage comics, I you can get them on Comicsology. I know that Tim, that's where you read that's them. That's where I read them. If you prefer digital comics, that's. Yeah, uh, that's where I read them. I I do like digital comics. The other thing too is I had a uh, free trial, and I don't know if they're still doing it. You can't read them on Comicsology Unlimited, Unlimited, but you can get a free trial. And what it does is it discounts any comic you buy by a certain percentage. Perfect. So that that's I signed up for a free trial to read um a couple of things. I can't even remember. Oh, a hex slash, of course. Cool. And, and then Spawn. But I so I was reading that, and then they were discounted pricing gotcha. on the Ninja Turtles comics those those first three collections so that's worth it if you want a physical copy if you're old school like me and you uh, for some reason like to fill your basement up with stuff that you know you probably don't need um, I know I need all this um, you can check them out you know uh, this because I borrow it all the time that's true yeah, <laughs> I do it for you um, you can check those out there, there are hardcover and softcover versions um, obviously the hardcover are a little more expensive I think they're worth the buy the hardcovers personally but I can understand the softcovers I'm sure are great uh, they're called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles The Ultimate Collection The Ultimate Collection um, and you'll know it's the right ones because they've got the covers are the turtles are in color and the rest of the cover is black and white it's got a very gritty vibe about it you'll see uh, you'll be able to figure it out but the 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 ultimate collection. I think there's five or six volumes of that. The first three are the ones that you're drawing the, the they drew the movie stuff from. Um, 
Cool, man. I had fun talking TMNT with you. This was good. Yeah. Um, if you want to reach out to us and uh, have any feedback on either the Turtles comics, the Turtles movie, any ideas for future episodes you'd like to see, please do that. Uh, you can email us at our newly created email Gmail account. Um, <laughs> Uh, where that's going to be multimedia podcast at gmail.com. Okay. Um, you can also I keep find saying, us. okay, it's just peek behind the curtain. Like we've set that Gmail up. Like that's why I keep saying, okay. Okay. Cause we just set it up. Cause you're reminding yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at multimedia podcast. Um, we are on uh, Facebook. Look for multimedia podcast there. We are on Twitter at multimedia pod. So, um, Tim, what do we have for the fine folks next time? We should mention, this is not a podcast where we are going to have some sort of necessarily regular release. No. I, this, is, this is something fun for Tim and I to get together and do at our own leisure. I would say anticipate probably a once a month situation for a while at least. Oh, um, the other thing I want to say. So if you found us, if you're like a Turtles fan who found us, mm. we do host another podcast called Horror Movie Yearbook. Yes. Maybe if you like horror movies. Honestly, maybe if you're just a casual horror fan, because I think we do a pretty good job. You probably have fun with yeah, it. Yeah, I think we do a pretty good job yeah. of keeping things accessible. <laughs> so yes. so check us out at Horror Movie Yearbook as yes, well. Yes, please and, do. And check out any of our other shows like Midwest Game Nerds. Uh, we've got the Alienist Recap. We've got a ton of shows under the Midwest Podcast Network. Yes, matter. absolutely. Please so do. what we've got coming up. So the idea with the show is to do something a little bit different than just book to movie. We want to, we want to, we want to test ourselves. We want to try to find different things. So Stretch. we're going to be doing video game to novelization. Is yes. that, so we're going to be dipping a, our toes yes. into a little bit of expanded universe. Yes. Stuff, this is it? a video game. Yes. That was turned into a novel. Weird, yes. Right. Yeah. And we're not saying that this is a novel that takes place in this case, it's there's a lot of like Halo novels, right? But I think generally they're like their own stories set in that Halo universe, right? Mm-hmm. This is like like adapted from the game. I have never read this. I just recently played Resident. So we're doing Resident Evil. Yes, the so video game, the first game, the right? first game. Um, or if you prefer, you you could play the remake of the first game. That's fine. That's or you okay. can just watch playthroughs on YouTube. That's fine too. Yes. And we're going to be uh, also talking about Resident Evil: The Umbrella Conspiracy by S. D. Perry. Okay. Um, I believe Perry. Stephanie Daniel Perry. I think okay. is I believe that's her name. Um, this is a this is a it's a brisk read. You can find the book on Amazon. Uh, you can find you the can game. find it in. I found my copy at a one of those tiny Free libraries. libraries. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, look forward to that. That'll be a lot of fun. I think to talk about what an odd translation that'll be. To yeah, discuss. we wanted to we wanted to mix it up the second episode. Plus, it's a little bit the second episode may be releasing around. Now I don't want to commit to it. Yeah. it, it the spooky season is what I was. Gonna yeah, say, it won't be it won't be crazy distant from from Halloween. And then I think so. we've got some ideas to go even. Even deeper, even different. down the rabbit hole. <laughs> even um, but we're so yeah, we'll be doing video game to book. Yes, very excited. <laughs> yeah. We're getting weird right out of the gate. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. We're very excited to see how the show evolves and and uh, what your guys' thoughts are. Um, please, once again, send us feedback. Let us know what you thought and uh, rate and review us on iTunes because if you're listening to us from iTunes, the rating and reviewing can help, especially early on in the show's lifespan, to like get people to find out that we exist. Um, so please do that. That'd be great. Um, tell your friends. Um, thanks again for joining us. I'm Willie. That's Tim for Multimedium, and we will see you next time. Bye.